My name is John. I'm not Josh. I am one of your newly appointed elders. I've been on the elder board a couple times, going way back to the early days of the church, but um, been on a hiatus for a little while, so it's an honor to be back up here. It really is. Um, more than anything, being up here makes me appreciate what Josh does week after week, because it is, it is difficult. <laughs> uh, I was telling my wife before, I was like, just the, the amount of time it takes not only to think of something to say, because if you don't come up, you know, we, like for me, it's been, I think, since 2011 was the last time I got a chance to speak. So God has shown me a lot since then. Uh, you know, three, four years, that's, that's a lot of experience. I've had a kid, you know. Uh, I mean, it's just been a learning experience. So to find one thing to talk about is sometimes difficult. But it, it really is an honor. I, but when Josh asked me to speak... Um, there was no, no doubt in my mind what I was going to talk about, um, and, and that's joy. And not, I hope you're not here to, to hear some philosophical, uh, deep teaching on the Aramaic and Greek words behind joy and what it is and what it isn't, because that's not how I'm trained at all. Uh, I'm just, I'm here to tell you what God is teaching me about joy, and it's not necessarily um, it is joy in, in the, the worst circumstances that life brings, some of those terrible things that come our way throughout life, and, and they will come. Um, but more than that, it's, it's joy in the day-to-day grind, joy in the, in the petty, frustrating, monotonous times of life. See, some of you, you may, not, you may not be prepared for this because you are absolutely thrilled with your life circumstances and you are exactly where you always thought you would be. And everything is lovely. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us experience those times when we kind of look around and say, is this it? You know, I always thought I would be an NBA basketball player, and I am not. And whatever that is, some of you, you know, and I'm not talking about just childhood dreams, but some of you, you know, the sky was the limit, and all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, this is my life now. This is day to day for me. And sometimes that can be a little bit eye-opening for us. And, and a lot of times that life will bring just petty, frustrating stuff our way. But I think the Bible has called us to be a light in those circumstances. So what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is just that wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are in life, whether you're dealing with something deep and heavy or you're just fed up with the day-to-day of life, God desires for you to have joy in your heart and for you to be light in the darkness. So there's a couple of reasons that, that it was just clear to me what I should talk about. One of them was, uh, I guess it was either maybe a family meeting a while back or um, either a family meeting or maybe a wives disi- married discipleship uh, meeting that we had. Um, Josh was telling us about our conversations with some of the college students. And it was kind of a warning because he was like, look, Uh, be careful how you speak to them because you're kind of beating them down. Um, You know, they're all excited about what life is going to bring when they graduate, and then they talk to you guys, and it's kind of a, hey, how's work going? And they get, oh, it's awful. Kind of like if you all saw the movie Billy Madison where he puts his hands on the little kid's cheek, and it's like, stay here. (laughs) Don't leave. And, And some of you may know what that's like. You may be in a point where you would look at some of these college students and be like, don't go to grad school, do whatever you got to do, stay here, do not get out in the world. And I was like, when he was saying that, I was like, well, that ain't me. 
but it probably kind of is sometimes. I, I guarantee you there are days when if you talk to me, you are going to get a very negative version of what my life circumstances are. Even though objectively, that's not true. None of that is true. It's just how I choose to see those situations and those experiences. It's how I choose to construct meaning from the experiences in my life. The other reason is uh, that, that I knew I was going to talk about this. Um, I grew up in a very traditional Baptist church, uh, old school. So like the deacons were the leadership of the church, and uh, they were the guys that made the decisions. They were the guys that were there when, when things needed to get done. And it was a big deal to become one, right? So when you uh, were nominated, I don't know what the process was, but when you were put forth to be a deacon, um, our pastor, who was a fireball, uh, would then call up your work and try to get a hold of your secretary or your coworkers, and they would say he would say stuff like, "Hey, I'm Perry Sanders from First Baptist Lafayette," and uh, which he was well known in the community. But um, and he would say, "Hey, look, you know, John Ringo has been nominated to be an elder, and I just want to know what you think about that. Or nominated to be a deacon, what do you think about that? Here's what a deacon is. You know, he's got to be a man of good reputation. He's not a drunkard. You know, all those requirements for deacons." And he would ask, he would show up at their office and go cubicle to cubicle and ask him, hey, what, what do you think about John Ringo being in a leadership position at our church? And I remember thinking, like, that's nerve-wracking, right? I mean, I, we have a pretty extensive process to become an elder here, but that ain't part of it. And if it was, I'm worried that maybe I wouldn't be up here. I, I like to think that if you ask my coworkers, you know, what do you think of John Ringo? That you would get just a glowing report. That it would be nothing but how godly I am. But I wonder, though, sometimes if you might get, man, you know, he gets beat down easy, you know? And so I just, maybe not, but I, that's probably true. But I wonder if each of us were honest with ourselves, and we were to look at how we respond to life's pettiness, life's frustrations, the grind of parenting, of working, of school, whatever it is, if maybe we could turn up the joy a little bit, because we all know, right, it's a fruit of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you got it. It's there. It's just about tapping into that joy uh, so that it shines through. So um, how do we get there? I, I don't have a great answer for that. It, it is a day-to-day, take-up-your-cross-and-follow-me type of situation. I wish that we could end and everybody line up and we have like a televangelist laying on of hands, everybody falls out thing where poof, you go to work tomorrow and it is the best experience of your life and you are a light in a dark place and everybody that sees you is like, man, there is something different about that guy. I'm not saying we can't get there, but it's, it's not a quick fix situation. This is something that we as Christians in this country face Day in and day out. How do I make sure that when people in my life look at me, they see something different? They see that light. They see something that they may not have that they want. Because honestly, I worry that we as Christians sometimes put forth a very different image of what the Christian life is like. And sometimes it might be a little bit of a beatdown, right? I mean, I think that if, if you ask most people on the street what it's like to be a Christian... You wouldn't get, oh, man, those people are, I mean, they, they got a joy down in their heart, and they are passionate, and they love life. That, that's not probably what you would hear. And I think that we, you know, a lot of that's for whatever reason, but I think maybe we bear some of that responsibility, right? So, okay, turn with me 
to John chapter 15. I'm going off my iPad, so bear with me. We got a new app on here. It, it's complicated. All right. John 15, starting in verse 4. If you've ever been in church before for more than 10 minutes, you have probably heard a sermon preached on this passage. This is the vine and the branches passage, right? So I'm not going to be telling you anything you don't know. Just bear with me because I think it's very important what Jesus is saying and why he's saying it. Okay, so let's start in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this, this is the crux. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All right, so first point, if you're a note taker, boy, get ready. First point, joy comes from Jesus, okay? There is no way that any of us in our own will and in our own power can experience, experience life's tragedies that are bound to come our way, the big stuff the bad reports from the doctor, the breakup of families, death, those horrible things that you will experience. There's no way you can experience those with joy in your heart without verses 4 through 10, without that abiding. And also, there is no way that any of us in our own power can experience the tedium of everyday life and the boredom that will surely come your way. The traffic, the Walmart checkout, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. The Popeye's drive through when they're out of chicken. All of those things that make you just want to scream and make your blood boil. And, and we've all been there. Every single one of us has had these experiences. There's no way you can experience that with joy in your heart and to be a light in those situations in your own power. I, know, I don't know much, but I know that. If you think that this is something that you can just will your way to, you're mistaken, because that's not what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine. He uses the example of a grapevine and a branch. There's a connection there. You want to have joy in your life? Abide. You want to be a light in a dark place? Abide. You want people to see a difference in you? Abide. Because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Okay. So, I, I feel like if I was to look back at my life and the patterns in my life when I experienced a great deal of joy, wherever those situations were, I can probably see a correlation to my walk with Christ, right? They're correlated. So an uptick in joy, uptick in Ringo's doing well in his walk with Christ. I think that's very true. And so when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, I think that's absolutely true. Of course, it's in the Bible, so it is true. But it's true in my life. 
And I think having kids has really opened up this apart from me, you can do nothing verse. Um, Because I spend a great deal of my time trying to be a good father. I really do. I, I had a great dad. And so I think that's it's something that's very important to me. So, like, I don't like a lot of downtime with kids because sitting around just watching a movie, uh, they're, they're, t- they're terrible, right? I mean, they, they'll drive you crazy. So I try to, like, keep them busy. So, and you can ask Blair about this. Like, on Friday nights, I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, what are we going to do with the kids tomorrow? What's the plan? What are, what are we going to do? How about this? We're going to get up. We're going to go eat breakfast. We're going to go to the park. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to go get lunch. We're going to come back, take a nap. I'll, I'll plan out their whole day. And I, in my mind, it's awesome, right? They're going to have a blast. We're going to go to the mall and ride escalators. Like, it's going to be, it's going to be one great Saturday, right? And so my kids wake up mad for some reason a lot. And, and they come out. Maybe they went to bed. We're kind of dealing with that now. Uh, and just mad at the world. And so I'll be like, all right, guys, trying to pump them up, right? I'm like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's going to be awesome. We're going to go eat. And I get from them, I just want to play games on your phone. Or I just want to go swing on the neighbor's swing set. And it drives me crazy. And I know this is, this is probably a poor illustration, but just stick with me a minute. This may sound arrogant, but there's no one with any objectivity that would think that playing on an iPhone or going to swing on the neighbor's swing set is better than the day I've got planned for them, right? (laughs) No one. But in their mind, that's what they want, all right? That's what they need. And I'm just pleading with them, no, trust me. Come with me. It's going to be awesome. And, And when they do, they're talking about it for weeks. Man, this was a great day. We had a blast. Another quick example, and this just came to me because we were at a birthday party the other night for cold bowling at our neighborhood jump house. If you don't have kids, within five minutes of you, there is a warehouse that has a bunch of blow-up jump house things in it. Kids love it. That's where we were. So Evie, who's not quite three, you know, she's having a good time. She's over there playing with this little blow-up ball. And, you know, she's, you know, there and having fun, I guess. But there is this massive slide. Like, awesome, right? Right next to her, Okay. So I go up, being the good dad I am, and I say, Evie, put that down, right? There is a huge blow-up slide right there. I promise. Come with me. It's going to be awesome. Do it. And so what do I get from Evie? No. It's too scary. And so I'm like, no, Evie, I promise. Look at all the kids. Come with me. Watch them. They're having a blast. It's going to be great. Come with me and watch this. It's going to be awesome. No. There's too many big kids. Evie, I'm your dad. I'm going to be right there with you. I promise Nothing bad's going to happen to you. I'm going to make sure of it. So I finally coerce her into going up the slide. You know what? She wrote it 35 times in a row at the time of their life. And while those are probably bad examples, I think God's like that with us a lot in our lives, okay? God is looking at us saying, I have a life for you that will change this world if you will let me live it through you. I have something for you that is so incredible, and yet you are distracted by the petty, frustrating, boring stuff that you do day in and day out. C.S. Lewis had a quote. I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan, so I'm going to read it to you. And I have the microphone, so you have to listen. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. I I can think about my life on things that, and I wonder if when I get to heaven, God is going to be like, John, you had a great life. You had a good run. Give it a solid B plus. But I'm going to show you what it would have been like if you had just followed me with complete abandon and just came after me with everything you had. You know what I mean? I just wonder if we were honest with ourselves, if, we are, if we're selling ourselves short, right? If maybe if we, if we just would give up a little bit of ourselves and we would realize that there's a better, there's a better way. There's a more world-changing, life-altering, people-see-it-in-you way that we are just not tapping into. So I think um, tapping into this vine that Jesus is talking about in this verse is where it all begins. Joy comes from Jesus. It does not come from ourselves. He is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And if we're not constantly connected to that vine, life is going to eat us alive. You are going to find yourself in your whatever, whatever situation you're in, dead, bored, just a beat down to those who are around you. It will happen if you let it, but there's a better way. We can stay tapped into that vine. We can live that joy that Jesus is talking about, that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full, but it all comes from tapping into that vine. Okay, so first thing, first point, joy is from Jesus. Second point, joy is easily smothered. Okay, joy is easily smothered if you do not take control of your thoughts. So a big point of what I want to make tonight. One, yes, joy is about tapping into the vine. Two, joy oftentimes, as I've experienced it, is all about perspective, right? It's all about how you choose to see the situation. Uh, and and that, that is the case, whether it's an absolute earth-shattering, big deal, my life will never be the same type of situation, And it's also in the, man, this is just going to be a bad day. It's Monday, and I don't feel like going to work type situation. It all depends. Your joy depends on how you choose to see it, right? I'm going to give a bit of an example, probably another poor one, but I'm going to ask that you bear with me, just about that perspective of how you see the situations in your life, all right? So imagine I'm walking down the street on my way to work. I wear a suit to work because that's my job. joyous occasion. And, um, I'm on my way to work and all of a sudden coming down the street is this enormously large man on a bike, completely out of control and completely out of his mind, headed straight for me, right? He's on the sidewalk, heading on his bike out of control. All right. I try to get out of his way, but when I move, he moves, this guy's intent on hitting me and possibly killing me. Right. At the last minute though, I dive out to save my life, jump into the bushes and I'm all cut up and bloody and dirty, and this dude drives on laughing, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but just bear with me, okay? So I get up, right? And by reaction, as a normal, red blood human being, is fury, right? Can you, what a jerk, right? Who would do something like that? I'm cut up, I'm bloody, I'm gonna have to go home and change, my day is ruined, how am I gonna go on about this day now that this crazy, horrible thing has just happened to me, right? That's a normal reaction. But it's not the only reaction you can have, right? So if I am tapped into that vine 
and, and living with Christ's love inside me, right? I can experience this. Same situation, guy careening down the sidewalk. I dive out to save my own life. I'm cut up. I'm bloody. I'm messed up. And I get up and I say, I'm pretty quick. <laughs> For a fat guy, I, I still got it, right? I mean, I, I should be dead right now. And I just, just saved my own life. And now I'm fine. And no one was here to see it. No one is going to believe my unbelievable cat-like reflexes. This is unbelievable. Wait till I get to work and I tell people what happened. Do you see the difference? I know that's dumb, but it, to me, the same situation can be seen from two totally different viewpoints. And I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what Monday is going to look like for you. You may be just eager to get to bed tonight, to get up and face your life on Monday morning, but you may not be. And if you're not, I promise you, with a little tweak in your perspective, you can see it completely differently. You might be able to see it if you try. If you tap into this vine, you might be able to see it as exactly where God has you for a purpose. I don't know what that is, but I bet you it's to be a light in a dark place. And if we're constantly focused on me and what's important to me and how life affects me and how it inconveniences me, you will never be that light in a dark place. You have to look to how another perspective, just that slight perspective change of what God might have for you if you let him show you. So um, two completely different perspectives, same scenario. The first one is a completely natural reaction. I want you to remember that. This is our default setting, okay? This is original sin, living out its way in our lives today, right? This is, it, it's, it's natural to be just sad and depressed and beat down and overwhelmed and frustrated. But that's not the way it's, it's got to be, right? You have the power through tapping into this vine to change it. So I want to give you a quick example. My mom, when I was in high school, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Okay, she's fine now, um, totally healed. It's been a great thing. But it was, it was a tough time for our family, as anyone who's ever gotten a bad report from a doctor uh, will attest to, right? She gets diagnosed with cancer, and my mom is, is pretty healthy, right? I mean, she, she eats, like, Fiber One cereal and stuff like that. And, and if you, I come from a family of, of very unhealthy people, but my mom was the, the one that was bringing up the average for the Ringo family. So for her to get this disease... Was, was tough. It was almost like a, it was one of those like why God situations, right? Like, why would you do this? Why her? I mean, she's a godly woman. She loves Jesus. She has a lot to offer this world. And there was a time when we were like, I mean, this might be it. Thank God it wasn't. She goes into remission, right? And all of it's behind her. And another lady in our church gets diagnosed with cancer. And she came up to my mom. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, I now know how to walk through cancer because I saw you do it. I saw you do it with grace. I saw you do it with confidence. I saw you do it with the power of Christ. And I I don't know, some of you have experienced stuff that I, it would bring me to tears to even hear it. I'm sure of it. In this room, there is some tragedy. But I believe that God can overcome even that. Even the worst things that have happened to you, God can use to bring glory to his name. But you have to see it with the right perspective. If you are constantly focused on you, then, then you got to get to a place where God 
can use it. You've got to get to a place where you see it for God's glory, even the worst part of lives. Not to mention the petty, frustrating stuff that we're going to get to. So, my third point. First one, joy comes from Jesus. Second one, joy is easily smothered unless you take control of your thoughts. My last point is this. Joy comes from selflessness. And selflessness is a choice. Okay? Selfishness, all about me, has been around since the beginning. Right? I truly believe that what made Adam eat the the forbidden fruit in the garden was independence, right? It was, I don't need God. I can be God. Give me the fruit. I'm going to eat the fruit. It's that, it's that it's all about me mentality that has been passed down from person to person to generation to generation, and it sits in this room with all of us. You and I, each of us, have a deep-rooted selfishness within us. And if you want to experience that joy that's going to change your world, if you want to experience that life-giving joy, selfishness has got to go, right? You cannot experience the joy of Christ if you are completely and utterly focused on yourself. If you are, you will be constantly beat down by what life throws your way because I promise you, it's going to inconvenience you. It's going to make you unhappy. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to be annoying. So, but you've got to remain in that vine and stay in that perspective. So, David Foster Wallace was an author, not a Christian author, but he was an author that died a few years ago, and he gave a commencement address um, at a college, which was then broken down and written into, like, this little short story. And it's, it's called This is Water, Some Thoughts Delivered on a Significant Occasion About Living a Compassioned Life. It's dense, all right? So I won't read it to you, but he says some pretty incredible things. And one of the points he gives... He tells this story about two fish swimming in the ocean, young fish swimming in the ocean, and they come across an older fish, right? And the uh, older fish looks at the younger fish and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on, and after a little while, one looks at the other and says, what the heck is water? And the point of that story (laughs) is this. It is all about awareness, right? Sometimes the most obvious things in our lives are hardest to see because we're so numb to it. We're so used to it. It's a part of our life and has been as long as we can remember. It's just like water to a fish, right? They don't even know it's there, probably. Selfishness is a lot like that, right? I am certain that my job, that my life, and my kids, and my wife, every one of my friends, they're all about me, right? I am the center of my world. Everything revolves around me. My experiences are real. Yours have to be taught and explained. Mine are vivid. This world revolves around me. And as we grow up, we realize that that is a totally wrong way to think, right? But it's so natural. It is our default setting. I want to talk to you. Turn with me to Psalm 27. It should be up on the screen. I'm going to read this psalm to you um, and try not to sing it. Because there have been many a Christian song written about this. I jumped to Job 27, so bear with me. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and whom, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will, that will, I, that I will, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I like to think this might have been David's second draft at this. Because I've never had an army encamped against me or enemies assailing me. I've never experienced that aspect of life. But I imagine it's pretty trying, right? I imagine you can be in, that, in a situation like David is and see it as it's about to get bad for me, right? Things are about to go down. They are encamping, literally encamping against me, right? That's a big deal. So I like to think the first draft might have come out a little bit different, like David's got all this stuff going on in his life, and before he says the whom shall I fear stuff, he might have had a reaction like, This is scary, and I'm very afraid, right? Where is God? Evildoers are assailing me. Armies are encamping against me, and God is nowhere to be found. I am here by myself. I feel like, God, you've led me to this point, but I don't know what's about to happen, God. And I need you, and I can't find you. God, you've got to do something. If you don't in the next five minutes, I'm out, God. I can't deal with this right now. This is not what I thought it would be when you ordained me as king of Israel. And here I am about to get beat. So God, it's on you now. I'm out. I'm I'm probably going to go do something else, God, because this is not what I thought it would be. That's probably a more natural reaction for a guy like David. But you don't get into Psalms with that kind of perspective, right? That's not going to make the cut. So I like to think David read that first draft, took it back, and then came back with this whole I will be confident. Whom shall I fear? It doesn't matter what's going on outside of my tent, outside of my army encampment. They can come if they want because God has got this. You see the perspective change? You see the different way to look at the exact same situation? David, I mean, he didn't have it all together, right? He could have easily handled this the wrong way, but he didn't. And I would posit to each and every one of you, That when you go to work tomorrow, when your kids are beating you down, whatever life, when you get that bad report from the doctor, whatever life throws your way, you can look at it with a Psalm 27 type perspective. 
that God is in control. I'm going to follow him where he leads. I know he's got a plan for my life. And every one of my experiences, no matter how bad, no matter how horrible, have led me right up to this point to be a minister of the gospel. And God has someone for me to reach out to, for someone to be a light to, to share love with. And you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay tapped into that vine. I'm going to be who God has called me to be. I'm not going to see this situation with my worldly, selfish vision. So, back to the water thing. If you, if you lack awareness of what's going on around you, if you live life in that default setting, then you will only see the negative, petty, and frustrating parts of life, and they will eat you up. You will, before long, I promise you, it will wear you down, and you will be one, just another one of those people that is just a beating to be around. And that's not the true, full Christian life. Last example. I want to maintain my reputation of being very, very fast. Um, I work downtown, and I live in Dutchtown, right, which is a recipe for frustration and misery. Okay, I live in Baton Rouge traffic. It It is my world, okay? I have this cool back road that I take, right, which is longer, but it keeps me off the interstate. And staying off the interstate is important because, as my wife will tell you, I I tend to struggle with a little bit of road rage. And not in the sense that I'm, like, mean or aggressive, but I just just follow a strict code of rules when I drive. And if, if you don't follow that same strict code, I feel it's, it's my duty as a citizen to teach you the air of your ways, right? And this usually reveals itself in me, like riding people's bumpers or like passing them without ever really leaving their lane, like that type of flyby situation. That, yeah, I know. It's bad. It's horrible. And my wife says, she'll tell you, she's like, my true ugly side comes out when I drive, Right. But I avoid that. I avoid that usually because I take my sweet country back road and I put on my podcast and it's awesome. So occasionally this will happen. And some of you can maybe relate to this. Some of you may not. But again, I've got the microphone. So um, I will be on my back country road, just windows down, living the dream, right? And I'll call Blair, my wife, and I'll say, hey, I'm done with work. It's been a tough day, but I'm heading home. I'm looking forward to it. And she will respond with, okay, good. Can you run to the store and pick up this, 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 and this? Which is no problem, right? I mean, you know, we we co-workers in this job, right? That's fine. But the problem is my backcountry road doesn't have any stores, right? So now I have to backtrack through Baton Rouge traffic at 530 on my way to the grocery store. Which, I don't care if it's Walmart, whatever it is, there's not going to be enough checkout lines. It is going to be a horrible, frustrating experience. And if I'm living in my default setting, there is no way I can experience that with joy in my heart, right? If I deal with traffic the way it's just natural for me to deal with it, I am going to be furious. I'm going to be laying on my horn, and I'm not going to be witnessing for Christ, right? But my question is, is it possible to experience something like traffic, something like Walmart on a Saturday with joy in your heart. And I think with enough tapping into the vine on John 15 and depending on the Holy Spirit to live through you, I think even those situations, it's possible to see them 
as an opportunity for ministry, right? So here's a little trick, all right? And, and again, we're going to close after this. What, and and I've, I've tried this a couple of times. It's another thing I'm stealing from this David Foster Wallace guy. But what if in those traffic situations, right, I somehow knew something about some of the other drivers that were in my way, right? Maybe this guy that is cutting across three lanes of traffic with no awareness that there are other cars on the road, maybe somehow in that moment, I know, or he puts up a note on his window that tells me, I've got a two-year-old in the car that won't stop throwing up, and I have to get to the emergency room. It is critical. How does my perspective change in that moment, right? Who's in whose way at that point, right? I'm in his way. Not only do I need to get out of the way, but I need to block traffic for this guy, right? What if when you get to the Walmart checkout line, you know, the lady treats you bad, and, but, but somehow you know that she's not always this ugly, right? She's just been up all night with someone who's dying in a hospital, and she's been sitting up all night long next to the hospital bed. What if you knew that about her? How would you treat her differently in that situation, right? Or your coworker? Is any of this true? Is it true that the guy cutting across three lanes of traffic has a sick kid in his car? Probably not, but it's not impossible. And that's what I want to challenge you as you wake up tomorrow and you go to your beat down job that you can't stand. Try to think about it that maybe it's not all about you. Maybe there is a reason people are acting the way they are. And there's a reason that circumstances have brought them to a position where they're doing things that drive, that may drive you crazy. And maybe God has you in that situation to be that light, to be that minister, to point them to him. And I think if we, and if we just try to see things from a different perspective, it's going to open our eyes, right? It's going to open our eyes to a different way of thinking about the world in which we live. Because if you live in your default, right, your original sin type of way of looking at things, that Walmart Popeye's no chicken situation is going to drive you crazy and you're going to want to scream, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. I want to leave you with one final verse and it is in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to say this. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back up. Verse 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There is a different way to think about the situation God has put you in. I promise, if you try, if you abide in Christ, if you stay tapped into that vine, if you take control of your thoughts, and if you try to change your perspective from it being all about you, you'll see a world out there that you are equipped to minister to. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for tonight. I pray, Lord, that I can practice what I preach. Lord, that as things come my way, whether big or small, I will face them with joy and compassion that you died on the cross to give me. God, that is my prayer for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room, that we would see the world as you see it and that we would love it just the same. God, I thank you for what you're doing in me. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. We give you all the glory. It's in your name I pray. Amen.